Alright, so everybody knows how VPN services and ExpressVPN can protect your privacy and security online, right? But did you know that there are some secret hidden benefits to using ExpressVPN, like unlocking movies and shows that are only available in other countries? So if you're like me, you probably enjoy watching shows on Netflix, for example. Well, with ExpressVPN, you can unlock the UK version of The Office or Parasite from South Korean Netflix. Over a hundred different countries. All you have to do is change your location and refresh Netflix or whatever. Hulu, BBC iPlayer, YouTube, you name it. In fact, when I set it up for myself, I was surprised at how easy it was. It just installs and then loads up and works. And it works on more than just PCs, phones, media consoles, smart TVs, and so much more. So if you want to get access to hundreds of new shows, use my link right now, expressvpn.com slash ringslore, and you can get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. That's expressvpn.com slash ringslore, expressvpn.com slash ringslore to learn more. Vacation starts with VA. Whether you're feeling beachy, mountainy, or every E in between. You'll find all that you love all in one trip to Virginia. Start yours at virginia.org. Welcome to the Lord of the Rings Lorecast, the show that explores the background of Tolkien's amazing world from the very beginning. It's the hundredth episode. Can you believe it? We've been here for a hundred episodes. Thank you so much to everybody. This is going to be a very special hundredth episode because I debated some different things that we could do and ways that we could celebrate or just continue doing the story the way that we normally would. But I decided that I couldn't do this show without all of you. I say I say this every week in the mid break. I'm sure some of you skip the mid break, uh, but I honestly I couldn't I, I couldn't do this. I couldn't be here, and it wouldn't be nearly as much fun if it wasn't for all of you listening. So first of all, thank you, thank you for being here, thank you for helping me get this to a hundred episodes. But secondly, I thought it would be a great opportunity to have some of your thoughts on the show. So I reached out to my patrons. And I said, hey, if you'd like to get a comment or a question, something to highlight on this week's episode, that would be wonderful because all of you have been supported. Just listening to the show at all is support. So thank you for being here. And our patrons have decided to take actual money and throw it at a thing that I am making and throwing it into the world. So I, I very much appreciate you being here and supporting the show financially. And so I put out a thing uh, last week on the bonus episode, and then this week I posted another message on the Patreon saying, hey, leave your thoughts. I'd love to hear your thoughts on the show, on the Lord of the Rings and Tolkien and the universe, or just some of your questions or whatever. So that is what we're going to be doing today. This will be one big, long episode. There's no bonus episode this week. This is just the 100th episode celebration extravaganza Ta-da! I should put some uh, some fun music in here but um, I don't know if it would go with the rest of the cool sounding 
instrumental stuff that I already have in the episode. I was thinking like a mariachi band or something. Um, I don't I don't have that music. I have to find some. Uh, so here, we'll just skip that part and get to the thing that you're actually interested in. What did they write? Well, I'm just going to go in order of the uh, the responses. So if you responded first, you get to be called out first. Like our first respondent, Nostrils of Sauron. Wonderful name. Thank you for being here. Thank you to all of you. First of all, this is going to get old if I thank each each and every single person. But so many of you who commented and shared your your thoughts and questions have supported the show for a very long time at this point. I, I recognize your names. Many of you, I read out your names every week. All of that. Thank you so much. All right. So here, let's just get into the the fun meat of the show. Uh, let's start with Nostrils of Sauron. Nostrils. Can I just call you Nostrils? Is that cool? Uh, Nostrils says, Tom, this show has been an absolute game changer for me in helping me understand the wider legendarium of Arda. I believe the Tolkien's would be proud to hear this spot on analysis. My question that I've always had about the lore is about the elves. They are said to have been uh, always been and will always be a part of Arda as their soul escapes to the halls of Mandos when their physical bodies die. But where were the souls of, say, Legolas and Arwen prior to their birth? Is that ever explained? Thank you. I look forward to hearing your thoughts. Uh, nostrils, that is a wonderful question. Um, this is this is an interesting one. Um, I've done a little bit of research on this. And, of course, I've, I've, I've read everything I've read so far. And I have encyclopedic knowledge. And it's like uh, I can actually picture all the pages in my mind. That is not true at all. Uh, but from what I remember and uh, what I've been able to research recently on this uh, since you posted the question, I don't know that it is uh, confirmed or denied exactly where their souls may be. One thought is that the the souls of elves were created during uh, the before the actual creation of Arda by Iluvatar and he kind of just holds on to them and then deposits them in the world when it's time for them to awaken or in the cases of the, the younger elves, you know, Legolas or Arwen uh, to be born. Um, this is a possibility. The other possibility is that he somehow deposits them in the halls of Mandos and there's a section of the halls for the unborn elves, as opposed to the elves that have passed and are now returning to the halls of Mandos, if that makes sense. Um, those are the two main theories. Uh, I think the second one kind of makes sense. I mean, the halls of Mandos are not a place that you can just like waltz into and just like have conversations with elves that haven't been born yet. Like it doesn't it's it's a very cultivated and defined location for the holes the the halls the uh souls of the dead so that's my thought um and nostrils of sauron i don't know if you're trying to i mean you are the nostrils of sauron so if you're trying to somehow corrupt elves before they're even born uh don't do that that's a bad idea um thank you for writing in and uh thanks for being here all right our next post comes from Josh S. Josh writes something that struck me the second time I read the Silmarillion and that I haven't been able to resolve for myself is how the Valar abandoned the people of Middle Earth to suffer under Morgoth for centuries when they could have at any time chosen to stop him. Not the Noldor who were being punished, but all the other people of Middle Earth who the Valar were content to allow to suffer, become corrupted, die, etc. 
in order to punish the Noldor, the humans, the dwarves, and the non-Noldorian Noldorian elves. Uh, if I, it, I'm sorry, if they had just decided to never interfere with Middle-earth again, I could understand it. But they go to war once someone begs them hard enough. It's not like the Valar were getting stronger or Morgoth weaker. They could have stopped him at any time, but chose to let him run free. And it's also not like he was an evil human or elf, so the people of Middle-earth might bear some responsibility. The only people at fault are Morgoth himself and the Valar for letting him go free. Um, yeah, this is an interesting post, Josh. Uh, this is uh, similar to the question of the problem of evil in our own world. Um, if there is, if you if you are a theist, if you believe in some divine being that created all of humanity, and if that being is good, capital G, good uh, and loving, and that being is also all-knowing and all-powerful, how does evil exist in the world? That's something that theologians have debated and dealt with for millennia at this point. Um, the uh, That wouldn't be something that Tolkien himself would be unaware of. I'm sure that he struggled with the problem of evil, especially living through two world wars. I mean, he writes about it like this is this is something that he is very aware of and something that um, makes his world feel more real, even though it doesn't have a good. Well, a uh, an, a justification that everybody agrees upon. Let's say it like that. Um, in this case, my sense of it is that the Valar were told this is what you are expected to do and they did what they were expected to do and then the whole thing with uh you know the the Noldorian elves rebelling and Feanor and all of that happens and they head off to Middle Earth and then of course they you know Morgoth goes over there and does a bunch of terrible things we know the story but the reason that they don't respond right away isn't that so much that they're waiting for someone to beg them hard enough. It's more that it wasn't the time to do it yet. That's my sense of it, is that uh, Eru Iluvatar basically tells them, you will know when you need to step in and make these course corrections. You will follow my, my guidance on that. It's that sort of thing. And you can see it in the music where uh, he holds up his hand and, you know, Melkor uh, tries to change the melody and then he holds up his hand a second time. Like that whole thing. It's in his timing, which goes into the well, he's wise and all knowing. There's got to be a reason for the suffering that happens. Uh, maybe the reason is simply that it creates good stories for us to read. But um but I think I think it's something that's held close to Eru Iluvatar's chest. It isn't fully revealed, especially to the elves and men, but maybe even the Valar. Manwe is probably the one who's closest to the mind of Iluvatar, and he even seems to hold back for the most part. But they all have their roles. Ulmo is helping them. Uh, he's breaching that contract in a way, but I have a sense that he's also supposed to, that in order to reach the end that Iluvatar had in mind, they had to act in certain ways and only respond in certain ways. And why that leaves so much room for evil, I don't know that we'll ever know. I think that's the puzzle 
here. It's the problem of evil. And so that's just as uh, as far as we'll get with it. That's my sense of it. So Josh, I hope that was a uh, satisfactory answer or non answer in a way. Um, and I appreciate the question. This is a major, major thing um, in my mind, having been a theologian myself. Uh, well, not really a theologian, uh, somebody who studied religious studies and then philosophy in, in college and then have continued reading lots of things on those things over the years. Um, it's something that I, I still struggle with. I, I think as a human being, the the problem of evil is something that we should take on, that we we need to have a sense of, we need to at least understand the struggle and the puzzle of that and wrestle with it. Otherwise, are we really trying to, uh, I don't know, take, fix it in ourselves, uh, adjust it in our society? Like, how do we, how do we look that darkness in the face in a way and deal with it? And people have different responses to that. People, people do little good deeds all the time to the people around them. They get involved in their communities. They, uh, they vote, they, uh, they take up religion and, um, organizations, they get involved with organizations that help people. Like there, there are different ways that people handle this, right? So anyway, thank you for, for that comment and that question. Um, hopefully that was good. All right, let's move on to uh, peace Lutheran church who, Response with I have loved encountering this material again so much that I bought the audiobook on audible narrated by Andy Serkis uh, Combining his ability as a narrator with a wealth of content you have provided makes for such a rich experience Fingolfin versus Morgoth and Hur and Hurin Standing against the forces of Angband to allow Turgon to escape are such beautiful heroic moments Day shall come again Yes, uh, I have a feeling Peace Lutheran Church is somebody who has dealt with the problems of evil before. Um, I'm not saying this flippantly. I'm saying this as somebody who is from a religious organization, probably, hopefully, is dealing with those questions. And and this idea that um, in in the in this very next post, in spite of the evil of Morgoth, in spite of the darkness of Angband, these heroic characters are willing to sacrifice and fight against it because they believe that day shall come again uh is i mean you could do a sermon on that right um but even for for those of you who are non-religious i think that there's inspiration in the the belief in a better future and the uh, old men planting seeds for people who they will never meet that kind of thing um that's not the quote i, I butchered that but Maybe it should be the quote, uh, but uh, but yeah, no, this those moments are wonderful. I think those these uh, the moments where they stand up at odds. And, and I think this is something that we see in movies and things like this. But um, and it's part of it's been part of myth for a long time. The overwhelming odds. The hero is strong and powerful and noble or whatever. But in uh, up against the forces they're against, there's the reader has no expectation that they can win. There's like, uh, how are you possibly going to win that fight? And so they eke out little wins. Fingolfin versus Morgoth, uh, just the small bits of damage that he's able to do, and being an inspiration for other people. Or in the the case of Hur and Hurin, or um, uh, Baron and Luthien uh, confronting Morgoth on his throne and getting away with a Silmaril. Sometimes you got to roll the dice, you know. 
I, I think those are cool. All right. Thanks, Peace, Lu- Peace. I called you Peace. Peace Lutheran Church. This is what some of the bonus episodes are uh, more like, because I have a tendency to edit down the main episodes. But in the bonus episodes, I feel like I'm just kind of hanging out with friends and talking. So if that's something that you're curious about and you want to hear me stumble over words more often, Go check those out. Uh, Azzle Razzle writes, Hey Tom, longtime listener from Australia who has enjoyed every moment along this journey. This has been my first ever podcast and you've really set the bar high for any who follow. I always appreciate how you convey these dense stories into approachable episodes whilst prompting myself to view certain moments in a different light. I cannot wait to continue this adventure with yourself and all the other listeners keep up the amazing effort and thank you for the shirts oh i'm glad you like the shirts uh i need to i'm getting to the point where i probably need to update the designs um so those will be coming uh i'll have to look up the the date that i had originally put them out and then i like to keep them out a little bit beyond a year so that people signed up later have a chance to get some of them and then I'll refresh the designs and then again every three months you get another one on the Patreon. Uh, I rate this podcast 11 stars of (laughs) Arendelle out of 10. It's just that good. Not all that glitters is gold except this podcast. P.S. What made the lands of Beleriand so sought after and desired by the elves over the rest of Middle Earth, Eriador, etc.? Proximity? Um, I think... Uh, here's the real answer. I mean, you could joke like, oh, those were the ones that they ended up in because that's where the boats sailed to because the coastlines were closest. Um, you could say something like that. Uh, but I don't think that's the only reason. I think that there's uh, some very specific reasons why this is the case. First of all, the Noldor and Feanor and his sons and their group were going very specifically and very directly to get the Silmarils back. And that's where Morgoth was. He was on the northern side of the continent over on that in that area. Right. I think that's that makes sense. And so and you can tell by the way that they chose their lands after Fanor failed, that they all kind of picked locations in the north that kind of ringed around the northern waste area toward where Morgoth was. Um, Secondly, I think that you end up with uh, some other natural things that happen here. There are some uh, natural uh, barricades with the way that the mountains are designed and the forests along that northern Beleriand area. You also have the fact that Doriath is right there, that Thingol and Melian are kind of a natural barrier also in ways to uh, suppress the, the area from the north that Morgoth would be coming down from um, and sending out his orcs and things like that. So you also have that hidden kingdom, which is also already there and was planted there because Thingol met Melian there. And that's where they decided to stay. Then you also have the um, because of that barrier in the north, you have the regions south of that, which seem a little bit more sheltered. So places like Nargothrond can exist or places like um the coastline south of that where Kyrdan spent some time in some of that area. Um, so you've, you've got that kind of natural thing going on with, uh, and it's all centered around the dynamic between the Noldor against Morgoth. Um, but that doesn't mean that the rest of the content isn't, isn't settled. Like there are lots of people in other places. Uh, the men come from further to the East, right. And they come Westward and there are, we know there are lots of men who already still live over there. Many of those end up 
being, I, I guess, the ancestors of, you know, the people of Dale or uh, the Rohirrim or um, some of the other men that Sauron corrupts even further to the east. Then you also have the dwarves who are all along the Blue Mountains, which become the some of the only regions that actually exist on the border of Beleriand and the rest of Middle Earth after Beleriand sinks below the waters. Right. And then the dwarves specifically, many of them headed off east. They founded places like Moria and um, the other mountains north of there, like the Iron Hills and all of that stuff. Um, so there are a lot of people and and elves, uh, dark elves and other elves that had traveled further off in that direction. It's just that this is the region where Morgoth was. And so it's the place where we get the stories, if that makes sense. So good question. Good question. As a razzle. Thank you for your support. Uh, Odith Remorse writes, hey, Tom, I'm absolutely enjoying the podcast you've created all my favorites in one place. So thank you. My question is, even though I'm not that far into the lore, where are the Silmarils during the Third Age? I'm only at the part which Baron managed to take one from Morgoth. Can't wait to hear more of the lore and other lore casts you have. Uh, Odith, I'm excited that you still have so many episodes to get to. That is answered in the show. Uh, but spoiler alert, I'll give a quick little answer here for anybody who wants a refresher. Uh, and if you are interested in it being spoiled, then listen for the ne- next two minutes or so. Um, yes. So Baron uh, steals Baron and Luthien. Gotta, I mean, Luthien really holds a lot of the, <laughs> the responsibility here. Uh, they steal the Silmaril and it becomes part of uh, something they hold on to. And eventually Thingol gets it. All of this stuff, right? That specific item is taken from Morgoth and he wants it back. Um, at the end of the first age, when Morgoth is deposed with the Valar return, the all three Silmarils end up in different locations. Uh, I won't go through the whole story, but it's kind of poetic because one ends up as a star in the sky. It goes up in in the sky, in the air, uh, and then the other two end up in the ground and in the sea. So they end up like three different elements that you would use to summon Captain Planet or something like that. Um, but they're they're lost. Uh, one is specifically put in the sky and is now a star and the other two are just they're just gone um and there's reasons for that so listen through the episodes you'll you'll get all the different reasons um but thank you for your post i I appreciate it i'm glad you're enjoying the show all right let's move on to katie s kate or yeah katie s uh hi tom robots tom bots i can't believe i have been here listening to you for over a year now at this point It has been the highlight of my day, and I always enjoy listening to the bonus episodes where you delve into more nuanced aspects of the lore. I sincerely hope you'll continue to review The Rings of Power when the next season releases. You are one of the few Tolkien fans who actually seem to enjoy it, and it is so refreshing to find a kindred spirit in loving something that, while it may not be perfect, reflects the soul of the work. And it's just so cool to see characters you love come alive on screen. Thank you for all the time and love you put into the show and know that you are reaching so many people. Well, thanks, Katie. Um, yeah, this. So let's talk Rings of Power. Um, I'm excited for the second season. The first season isn't perfect. If you listen through my bonus episodes, I discuss the things that I liked and the things that I didn't about the show. And I know that the general sentiment is it's left people lacking. Um, and I, I can sum this back up again real quick. I believe that uh, the pacing is a little slow. 
there's uh, some contrived plot points in order to get you excited about what's happening on the next episode or, oh no, did that character die at the end of this episode? And then the next episode shows, nope, they're still alive. You know, like there's some, there's some TV stuff going on there, but overall, I think that it is a, a flawed, but good start at something that continue to get, it can continue to get better as it goes. I believe that we will never get the actual, nitty gritty detail the way that Tolkien would have written it it's not going to be exactly the same and as I've stated on my bonus episodes it's the spirit of the show that matters and I think they've captured that uh, in the relationship between the elves and the dwarves in um, the belief of the characters in uh, fighting the good fight in doing what's right in in um, in struggling through the darkness in who they've allowed the orcs to be is very interesting. Um, the, the relationships, the belief that, uh, it's not about being stronger. It's about sticking together and fighting and supporting each other and, uh, bringing the next dawn, you know, like uh, the little things of the hobbits, that, that sense of like, that's the good in the world. Um, a lot of those themes and the, like Katie said, the soul of it is intact. And I think that's, extremely important. I think the acting has been very good. I think the casting has been very good. Um, I don't have a problem with any of the specific characters, the way they act, the way they were casted. The sets look amazing. The videography looks great. Um, It's clearly on a different scale than, say, the movies were, but I don't think that's a problem. I think that all of these things will... uh, will work out in the end. Now you might debate things like, okay, who's the stranger? Is that really Gandalf? Why would Gandalf show up during the second age? Well, maybe he showed up earlier than we knew and it took him a while to kind of get his legs. I mean, that seems to be the story they're telling with that. And that's fine. I mean, it, it goes against the quote canon of the date that we were told by Tolkien, but in the Tolkien spirit of things, it's not like he ever didn't go back and change things in order to fit a new narrative that he was trying to write. That is a thing that does happen. Um, I also generally believe that nothing that you create from an author like this is ever going to be a hundred percent great and wonderful for everyone. There are still people who don't like the Peter Jackson films and they do make significant changes to the story and the lore and those will be debated. But I think most people enjoy them and love them because the spirit is intact and they're generally good movies. Um, so that's my sense of it. Katie, uh, thank, thank you so much for your post, Katie, and, uh, and uh, for, for being here. I appreciate it. All right, let's get through. We're going to do one more. Uh, I told you this is going to be a longer episode. We're already 25 something minutes in. Uh, and so we'll do one more. And then I've got uh, the mid break. And then. We've got a number of others, so don't go anywhere. So let's finish up this last one before the mid-break. Capenna009 writes, Tom, I have truly enjoyed your insights on the Silmarillion and other materials. I was able to slow down and digest the material through your podcast in a way I never truly did when reading the book. Your podcast was like a breath that one needs to take when reading this stuff. It's deep, heavy, and easy to get lost in. Thanks for the great episodes. So proud to be able to contribute to your work. P.S. I want to know more about Bombadil. 
<laughs> Capenna, um, I, I we all want to know more about Bombadil, right? Like, what is going on? I just posted the last bonus episode with more details about potential Bombadil theories. So if you're curious about that, go go listen to that one. Um, thank you very much. Uh, this doing this show and especially as we got into the later episodes where I was taking bits of the story and kind of zooming in on them and telling them as like one off pieces of the story. It, it helped me a lot, too. I mean, I've I've read these stories. I'm familiar with them. But going through at that pace, and I think that's I think you hit the nail on the head, the pace of it, because when you read a novel, you can sit for an hour, two hours, whatever, and blow through multiple pages. Like some novels are just page turners, right? Oh, what's the next thing that happens? Oh, what, what did they say to that? Oh, what? Where did they go? OK, what's going on with these characters? But when it comes to this kind of work, you can't do that. You miss so much. You have to slow down. And like you're saying, it's heavy. It's deep. It's easy to get lost. You have to look at every little piece, every little word, the way Tolkien would have when he wrote it. It's not about getting these lines in and getting to the next big plot point. Every single sentence, (laughs) it seems like, has nuanced detail that's important to the story it is dense and this is something that i learned to appreciate as a teen that i then struggled to find in pretty much everything else i tried to read it's not that i didn't enjoy other stories or other authors or other novels it's just that that level of detail and and really taking your time with it is beneficial there's There's a reason to do it and it's not something that everyone will get and it's not something that should be I'm not I'm not saying any shoulds here should be in every novel or that sort of thing but when you do find it and it's done this well which is the case for many historical religious mythological works if if you really want more stuff that feels like this go read some of that go read some of the stuff tolkien translated some of the real world texts the detail is that that important um for getting the meaning of it and so if you, if you really want something like that go study some of that stuff too uh but yeah thank you so much i'm, I'm glad that this method has uh, you've appreciated it it's it feels like me doing this feels like some of what i went through when i was in college some of our our discussions of of works and uh documents and old things like the level of detail on this. And so maybe that's something I'm carrying forward in the show is, is that method for exegeting a text or something like that. Um, so Capenna, I'm glad that you're here. I'm, uh, and yes, I absolutely want to know more about Bombadil. Unfortunately, I don't think we will ever know more about Bombadil. It's all about speculation and just taking the little bits that we do know and, you know, seeing how they, they fit into a theory uh, and strangely enough, none of them really feel a hundred percent all the way there. Uh, so it's a mystery. All right. I'm going to take a quick break. Don't go anywhere. And I'll be back with some more of your thoughts and questions. Thank you for being here for the hundredth episode. I'll be right back. So let me tell you a little story. You know that we get sponsors on these podcasts and Yuffie, who does these smart locks with video cameras in them, reached out and they sent me a smart door lock with a 2K camera, a doorbell and a finger reader, all the bells and whistles. And I was like, okay, cool. They sent it to me. 
I already have one on my back door. When I opened this up and installed it, I was like, why didn't I go with Eufy to begin with? Because this is a step above the one that I've been using. The finger reader just works. The 2K camera is so clear. I can see when somebody's at the front door, if it's Amazon or if it's somebody trying to sell me something. It even has night vision and works in the dark. It makes me feel so much safer. Plus, my son can just put his finger on the door and just come right in when he gets home from school. He doesn't have to worry about losing keys and you don't even have to change the batteries in these because it's got like a 10,000 milliwatt hour battery that lasts for like four months. Go check these out today. Search for Eufy Video Lock, that's E-U-F-Y Video Lock, or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door. Again, search Eufy Video Lock. I think you'll love it. All right. Thank you for hanging out for the mid-break and thank you for being here for 100 episodes. Also, thank you to our new patrons and our VIP patrons. I'm going to make this mid-break as short as possible. I'm just going to shout out the people who I need to shout out, including uh, Odith Remorse, Griffin D, Wendy B, Cream Cheese Kitty. Interesting. Uh, Tell Duck, P-T-L-E-D-U-C, and uh, Junhui S. I don't know if I butchered those names, but I probably did. But thank you for being here and allowing me to butcher your name. Uh, also, I have to shout out all of our VIP patrons on the Patreon. Those were our new patrons. I didn't say that. Those were our new patrons. These are our VIP patrons. AK Music Lover, Anakin Skywalker, Apollo, Aragorn III, Austin C, Azel Rezel, Barney D, Bo, Black Squirrel, Brandy D, Chewbacca, Cutter Metalworks, Darth Fanor, David S, David M, Divine Madman, Drupal, uh, Esoteric Rage, Fulcrum, Gimli A Break, Gemma D, Jesse P, J Eggs, Jezzer, Kate L, Katie S, Capenna, Lore FC, Lori B, Mason Weathertop. That's a cool name, too. Uh, Ma- Michael M, Nick K, Nostrils of Sauron, Obi Wan Kenobi, Peace Lutheran Church, Rosie Rose, Sam B, Sauron for Life, Seiju, Swiggy Swoo, TJT, and Tour Son of Whore. Thank you to all of you and to all of our patrons and to those of you who have signed up previously who are no longer patrons but you did help support at some point and those of you who shared the show with your friends. Everybody, thank you so much. I couldn't be at 100 episodes without you. All right, that's it for the mid break. Let's go answer some more questions and read some more comments. Here we go. All right, we're back. 100 episodes. That's crazy. Uh, I told you this is going to be a long one. This is like a double episode. So it's like your regular episode plus the bonus episode all stuck together for everybody. Because thank you for 100 episodes. All right, let's move on. We got some more comments and questions. This one comes from Black Squirrel. Black Squirrel. I just said it well. Now I messed it up. Black Squirrel says... Your willingness to delve into the eloquent and diverse depths of Middle-earth. I really enjoyed listening to you going through all the lore. My one question for you is, if you lived in Middle-earth, which species would you be? Mixed? Question mark. And why? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I would love to hear what you, what you all would be. All right. So, first off, I want to think, like, initially my, my thought is, oh, I could be... I could be one of the elves. I could be, uh, what if, 
What if I was one of the first elves to get to Valinor? Wouldn't that be cool? Uh, what if what if I fought the good fight against Morgoth? Yeah, that would be cool too. Or what if I was one of the Edain and I, I was one of these, I don't know, noble men, noble humans that stood up against Morgoth and helped the elves and, you know, somebody like Tour or Turin without all the tragedy, you know, like somebody powerful and strong. And then I think about it and I'm like, okay, I'm probably, no, that's probably not me. Um, I, I'm probably more of a hobbit. I think most of us are probably more of a hobbit. And that's, that make that makes sense. Uh, the hobbits are our view into the world. They are our uh, familiar place to start the stories and then take us into the unfamiliar. There's a reason why this is set up like that, right? Um I think we're probably most of us are probably more like hobbits than we may think. <laughs> it's not that we're farmers or we're simple. It's more of we we keep to ourselves. We do the things that we find important in the world. We uh, focus on family and and our friends and our communities and and then we grumble about family and friends and communities. Um, and we're not we're not most of us probably not that adventurous. We don't really want to march off to Mordor or deal with some of the issues that are the greater parts of the world because we're just happy living our lives and doing what we do. And I think that probably is much more likely to where I am uh, in my own life. And maybe I need to be a little bit more adventurous. Maybe I need to get out there and, I don't know, take on a, a quest or something. Although in my own life, I, I guess, I mean, heck, starting the show was kind of its own quest. Um, so, yeah, probably a hobbit. Although the other races do sound pretty cool. Um, I think my dad would say that he wanted to be a dwarf because the dwarves, dwarves are cool. You know, they're. They're, uh, they're stubborn and strong and like they've, you know, everything has these like double edged qualities, right? Like being stubborn isn't necessarily bad, like standing for what you believe in and those kinds of things can be very good, right? But they also can keep you from adjusting to new information and, and doing maybe the thing that is ultimately right or whatever. Um, it's, you know, each, each race has their benefits and their drawbacks. It's tricky. It's tricky to think about it. Uh, but yeah, I, I guess I'm probably a hobbit. Um, if I wasn't a hobbit, uh, the fact, I guess you could take on the idea that, uh, getting into information and learning things, constantly learning things about say these stories or the history of our own world and ancient texts and, and those kinds of things, like my interest in science and history and literature, all, all of that stuff, uh, maybe makes me more like a wizard, but I guess you could also say that's kind of elfish also. I don't know. I wouldn't, I don't know. I wouldn't say that, oh, oh, I'm one of the wizards or I'm one of the great elves. If anything, I'm, I'm a simple person who enjoys working at a library. <laughs> I don't, I'm not a librarian. Um, yeah, that's a tough question. Black Squirrel, who would you be? Who I'd love to see your comments on this episode, uh, either on the Patreon or on our Discord or you know, tweet at me. It's not even called tweeting anymore, but, you know, let me know. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Uh, let's move to the next one. Fulcrum, formerly T-Rex, uh, who supports a number of my other shows as well. Uh, she uh, joins us on our patron chats on some of the other the, the other shows that we do. Um, I don't have patron chats on this show. Uh, I have a feeling we would have too many people show up and that would be 
really difficult. That's kind of the main reason I haven't set that up. But um, it would be cool to spend more time with people who <laughs> listen to the show. Um, my thoughts around that were things like uh, playing that Mordor video game and maybe trying that out, which I never did pick up. Um, I've been waiting. I, I, I checked out the details on it. it. Seems like there are updates that they need to make in order to make that better for communities to play together, like um, persistent servers and things like that. So that might be a thing in the future. So they're not doing patron shouts on the show doesn't mean that there aren't going to be ways for us to spend time together and hang out and do do stuff. So maybe that'll be a thing in the future. I've also tried again to get into Lord of the Rings online. It feels very old, but it is quaint uh, in its in its presentation and vast in its content. And there's some cool stuff to do in that world. Maybe I'll set up, maybe I need to set up like a, Hey, let's hang out and play elder scrolls online together night. That seems crazy, but maybe that'll work anyway. Uh, fulcrum. I'm already on this tangent. Uh, she's going to think it's hilarious that I haven't even read the thing yet. I, I guess that's just par for the course for me. All right. Uh, fulcrum says, I absolutely love that you started doing this show. I've waited a long time for a good Lord of the Rings podcast, and I think you're the perfect host. Oh, thanks. I hope you keep going for as long as possible. I think I would want to know if you could live in any of the lands, which one would you choose? Oh, another good question. All right. So this I'll have to divorce this in my mind from which race do I pick as to just where would I want to live? I mean, Valinor sounds freaking amazing, right? Especially during, say, the first age, uh, being able to see like for still to be in the world and to be able to uh, see the light of the trees or just the mountains and the sea and the the, the, the the city that they make. Oh man, all of that stuff. That sounds really cool. Uh, but I guess I would probably have to choose other places. So um, let's, you know, I think it would be really cool to live in a place like Minas Tirith. And I'm like Minas Tirith, the, not the early city, the, the later one with, had the same name, uh, that we're mostly familiar with. I don't know why I have to give that uh, as a preface, but the Gondorian city of Minas Tirith, um, the up on those walls with those vistas and the mountain behind it and the, uh, the white marble. That just sounds amazing. I love, I love the the bits of travel that I've been able to do, especially getting out of the United States to other parts of the planet that have older architecture, uh, places in Europe, uh, things like that. Um, I love, I love, my wife makes a joke that my favorite thing is old doors. Um, and there's a reason for that. When you, when you go to these older locations in the world, and some of you live in these places and you see a building that's hundreds of years old, uh, maybe a thousand years old, the stone looks old, right? Like it's an old looking building, but some of those places have wooden doors that have been there since the building was made. And the doors, like the way wood ages is very different from the way stone ages. And that gives me more of a sense of the age of the place when they're like, yeah, this is a 500 year old door that I mean, because we have wooden doors in our houses still, right? Like imagine your own door to your house being 500 years old. What would it look like? It gives you a real sense of time and age, right? Um, all that's to say that I really like old architecture and the way that those kinds of buildings work and to see a bunch of stone and wooden buildings in a place like Minas Tirith, which Clearly, it wouldn't and not everything would be that old, but the idea of the style of it being in this kind of medieval 
sort of style. Um, I don't know if medieval is even the right description for that. I have to think about that. Um, what is the description for the style of architecture in Gondor in the third age? Uh, I, I bet some people would argue that it's probably influenced by the Romans. Um, but anyway, either way, that would be really cool to live in a place like that. I think I, I also probably would get driven nuts going up and down the stairs to the different levels because that sounds tedious. Uh, I got to go down to the market again. Oh, I got to go to three floors of this gigantic city just to get to the market. Um, you know, the vertical, gigantic vertical city. It's not that it was that bigger spread out. It was more just the verticality. Uh, what would you, where would you live fulcrum? Um, I mean, I do like, you know, the Hobbit's place sounds pretty cool, but countrysides and things like that. That's fine. It's fine. I think I'm more of a city guy. Um, so I think I'd be there, but thanks for the question. All right. Cutter Metalworks. You're up next. Uh, Cutter says, uh, I'm just going to call you Cutter. Great show. I have it playing in my forge all the time. That's awesome. Do you have a single favorite character or event from Middle Earth? Mine would have to be Morgoth versus Fingolfin. Uh, what an epic showdown. Yeah, that is an epic showdown. Um, I really like Turin and maybe that's concerning. Um, Turin's Turin, Turin, uh, you got to say the U in the, in the U Turin, his story is tragic in a way that feels, I mean, it's magical. Like, it's not like everybody can just be enchanted in ways that make them do terrible things like marry their sister. But his story is so, it feels so real. <laughs> like there's something about it. Um, that I think when it comes down to, and it's not my favorite because it feels good. It's my favorite because it feels, if, if, I mean, this is what it feels like. This is a human being going through human stuff, making human mistakes. We're not all elves that have lived for hundreds of years and have the wisdom to know what the best thing to do is. And sure, the elves mess up a lot. I mean, it's not like the elves aren't just making mistakes as well. But there's this sense that Turin, had he been given the guidance from the people that he loved like had he been raised in the right household with a mother and a father and a community around him to guide him could have been the greatest weapon against Morgoth had could have could have well he, he wielded so much potential and that potential was met at times but then turned back against him and isn't that isn't that true? Like, I don't know. Just, I don't know. Think about your own life. There are times where we as humans flourish. There are times where we are clearly at the right place at the right time. Everything's running on all cylinders, like whatever analogy you want to use. And the things that we've learned, the lives that we've lived, the mistakes that we've made have taught us things. And we are just able to do the thing that we need to do. We can be there for the people who really need us. We can perform during those moments where it really matters in our careers or in our personal lives and everything just comes together and you wield the black sword and the orcs run away with fear and you protect the people you care about. That absolutely happens. But there are just as many moments, especially before those moments where we botch it up. We just... We don't see the whole picture. We don't know our full strength. We don't, 
uh, we're we're influenced by forces around us that are that are leading us in the wrong direction, or um, we just happen to be in a emotional and psychological dump you know like like he goes through very real bouts of depression and has real feelings and then is motivated to to pick up his sword and fight again there's something about that story and and it ends tragically but it doesn't mean that his life wasn't valuable that he didn't do good in the world because he did i mean he kills the first dragon (laughs) that ever existed He's a heroic character that has very real tragic elements. And, and I think that that is, that is, um, in some ways inspirational and not because, oh, well, we're all going to have a terrible end. No, it's inspirational in, in, even in the darkest moments, even in the darkness and the tragedy that you are going through, you can still do good. Even if your story feels tragic. And I think that's inspirational in a really kind of weird sort of way. And I think Tolkien understood that because tragedy is something that he, he writes about all the time, the, um, the weeping and the sorrow of the world and the understanding of the beauty of that, I think is absolutely encapsulated in Turin's story. And uh, I think that's an element of being human that many authors miss. So, yeah. So there you go, Cutter. I just call you cutter. Um, that's, that's my thought on that. Uh, thank you for writing in. That was a great question. All right. We've got one more and then we're wrapping up this episode. This is from Rosie Rose who writes, just love your show with capital letters, L O V E. And I have two questions. Maybe you told it already and I missed it, but I ask anyway, Aragorn goes under the mountain to get the ghost King to fight for him. From which battle in time is that story? And the dead faces in the death marshes. Uh, do you know their tale? Yeah. So these are interesting. The, both of these events um, have something to do with the battle of the last alliance uh, during the end of the second age. That um, it's when the, the big battle, when the elves and men all get together and uh, Isildur cuts the ring from Sauron's hand, all of that. The, uh, the men of the mountain were, um, they were called the Dunharo, I believe. Uh, let me, uh, Dunharo, Dunharo, Dune, Dune, maybe the U is a new U sound, Dune or Dunharo. Um, and they were called to help fight at the battle of the last alliance. And they, I mean, they were summoned right by Isildur and they didn't come. So they were cursed. So it's as simple as that. They they lived in that mountainous region and they didn't uphold their side of the agreement or whatever. Um, so that was them. They were cursed. And then Aragorn, being the person in line for the kinghood, had the kingship, I guess is the word. Kinghood uh, had the authority to forgive them and then also make another deal with them, all of that stuff. So that's what happened with that. The Dead Marshes, it's similar during the uh, the battles that happened during the Last Alliance. There's a specific battle called the Battle of Daggerlad, which is named mostly for the location. It's it's in the area approaching uh, Mordor, um, near where the Dead Marshes are actually there. Uh, that region is between Mordor and Lothlorien. Many of the elves who 
were sent from Lothlorien to that battle ended up in the Battle of Daggerlad, or it was towards uh, Mordor, I guess you could say, ended up in the Battle of Daggerlad. The, this is on the plains area in that section of the map. If you look at the map, you'll kind of tell where it is. Um, and they were, uh, they were fighting the orcs. They were pushed into the area with the marshes and something like half the elves in that battle perished in that location. Uh, eventually the forces pushed onto Mordor, the Black Gate, all of that. But during that section of the conflict, th- there were many elves that were killed because the orcs were so numerous uh, and able to push them into this region. So they died. Their bodies ended up in the marshes and there was this evil that remained from those events in kind of the it's almost like the world itself can be blighted by the spirit of the the events that happen there. Um, this is another one of those mythological things. It's the reason why some places are haunted with ghosts in ghost stories, right? Like there's something about the evil deeds and the evil events that happened at that location that then have their effect on the place itself. Um, so, yeah, so they came from a very similar period of time right at the end of the Second Age while they were fighting against Sauron. So there you go. That's the answer for that. Um, both of those are interesting situations and are probably worth going into more detail in, uh, especially as we get through, um, I mean, we're going to finish up the unfinished tales. That's weird. We're going to finish the unfinished tales. I didn't think about that. Uh, so we're going to get through that. I mean, we're not close to being done. We still have tours story to get through and then a number of other stories, tour stories about half the entire book. And then, um, who knows, maybe we'll go through the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings in, in very close detail in a similar way. That would be fun. It would take a long time. But, you know, I anticipated that this show originally was only going to do the Silmarillion and it would be like 40 episodes at most or something. And I was totally wrong about that. So this could go anywhere. Um, And as long as you are all still here helping to support the show, (laughs) maybe I could do this indefinitely. We'll have to see if there's that much content. But Um, I'm going to keep it going as long as you're here. So I appreciate you and thank you for being here. Thank you to everyone, the patrons, those of you who commented, uh, those of you who support the show financially, those of you who support the show simply by being here and listening or sharing with your friends, all of that. Again, uh, hopefully this isn't too much of a big hug fest, but thank you so much. I couldn't do it without you. And I genuinely appreciate the support. You make this as a job the best job that I've ever had. So thank you. All right. Uh, I would love to hear some of your thoughts on these questions. So feel free to chime in, comment on this episode, join us on the discord, um, be part of the community. And thanks for being here. I hope you have a wonderful week and we'll get back to tours story. And we're getting pretty close to where the uh, unfinished tales end up with that story. Of course, he doesn't make it all the way to Gondolin and all of that. So, Then we'll be moving on to some other stuff and look forward to that. All right. I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Lord of the Rings Lorecast. If you'd like to learn more about other fantasy worlds, check out my other podcasts, the Elder Scrolls Lorecast, the Witcher Lorecast, and more at robotsradio.net. If you'd like to reach out, I'd love to hear from you. Send me a note on Twitter at robots underscore radio or join our amazing community on the Robots Radio Discord. There are links in the show notes or just search Robots Radio Discord or find the link on robotsradio.net. I'll see you next time.
American Giant makes great clothing, sweatshirts, jeans, and more right here in the U.S. Visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order with code STAPLE20. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com, code STAPLE20.